mission and being a part of that environment for so long. I love days like today when we get to hear from folks and what God is doing and moving across this world and this nation. Amen. So we have a great opportunity, as Drew has said, and Bruno to hear from Taylor and Sarah Fox this morning. And our brother and sister in Christ, who we will be introduced to this morning, are Aaron and Julia O'Neill, who you guys will be introduced to, is now becoming a part of the Gateway family. And so just for those of you who may not know, Taylor is the son of William and Janie Fox. William is one of our elders here. This is his home church. He was raised in it. So we are thrilled that they're back here to give us a debriefing and update to hear some glory stories about what God is up to in France. Amen. So let's give them a warm gateway welcome as they come up. So unlike a piece of theater, we're going to actually do a little bit of our own setup. So uh, we're going to move some stuff. So hold tight. appreciate people who have muscles. So uh, just heads up real quick. Oh, we have, okay. we have, we're going to do one microphone for you guys to share. And uh, yeah, don't ask why. Um, so we're going to sit here. That makes us feel more comfortable and we're less likely to faint. Um, so Drew has told me, I know that when people sit up and they don't have anything on, on here, it can kind of make you wonder, are we ever going, are we just going to keep going until someone gives a signal? Well, Drew has promised to raise his hand when he is hungry, <laughs> and that should be a signal that we, we probably, oh, he's already hungry. <laughs> so somebody else can make a signal. Um, so what we've done today is we put... Um, I know that giving you guys a signal, of a, a, kind of a signal to let you guys know where we're at would be helpful. So we're doing kind of a three-part thing today. Uh, each part contains 27 oh, um, And we have up here, we're going to have three parts, and it'll say part one, part two, part three. And you guys will know that as you can become gradually hungry as we reach the third step. So let's put, oh, very good. We're kind of simplistic today. Okay, so I'm going to do a quick introduction. Who are we? Last night we put it up with a question mark. Um, who we? Who are we? And so we had to figure that out too. So um, obviously I grew up in this church, um, and I remember being over here like a tot, like really small, sitting next to the pastor. And so I feel like I'm coming home, coming back from France, being here with you guys. Most of you look a little bit different because I grew up, and so you guys are growing up as well. Um, as you guys know, a couple of years ago, I got married to Sarah, my beautiful wife. And this year, um, we are going to we are growing our family. So in February, we're going to be expecting a little baby. So that, that cat's out of the bag. Um, and so we've kind of grown this way, and we're going to introduce you to Arne and Julia today. Um, I remember two years ago. Um, I came, and we, Sarah and I were here, and we just gotten married, and we're going to go to France and begin doing ministry with the Navigators. Um, if you ever want to get married and do ministry and learn a new language and start a new job, I suggest doing it all in the, th- the same three months. <laughs> um, I remember when we came, we, you, gave, you guys gave us five minutes, and last year when we came, you guys gave you 15 minutes, and this year you're giving us a service. So we're concerned that next year... <laughs> Um, two years ago, you guys prayed for us. We were literally had no idea what it was going to look like to go to France, what it would look like to go do ministry. And you guys prayed that as I moved to France, as we figured out married life together and ministry, you prayed that God would go before us. And God did go before us. And we have some people to blame. I mean, thank. And Arn and Julia were the couple. You guys, you guys can blush later with the red light here. Um, Arne and Julia were the couple that initially kind of greeted us and began to work. Arne was the guy that I worked with um, almost, I saw him probably four times a week, which is quite enough. Um, <laughs> and they were also the couple that they had been married only a couple years before us, and they had also moved to France right after their wedding, and Arne had learned the language. So they were a couple that was very inspiring to us. And they're also a couple that I think have, have always been there when we needed them. 
And, and I really want, I mean, it's, it's my joy to invite them and to have them come and, and be here today. Um, so you guys can give them a hand. Um, so I'm going to do a little talking and then it won't be me talking the whole time, I promise. Um, I've been told that I'm not supposed to do that. Um, Arne is Irish. He, uh, it means he's from Ireland. Um, I think that makes sense. He's, yeah, he's from Ireland. Um, he's Irish. Ju- Julia is German. They've been in Strasbourg for, I think, six years now. They've been, um, Arne, works, Arne and I work full-time with the Navigators, and um, Julia will be beginning to work with the Navigators in a more full-time sense starting uh, this upcoming fall. And so that's kind of who we are. Um, obviously, Sarah's French. And I'm ordinary. (laughs) And so let's go to the next slide real quick and see where we are on the map. Oh, yeah. Hold that. Hold that one for a couple seconds. Okay. Just just 10 seconds and you guys will be able to match. We we also wanted to put this up because this is a more handsome picture of us. (laughs) So I'll give you the next one now. Um, We are currently serving in Strasbourg. Um, Strasbourg is right next to Germany, as you can see from the arrow, which means I shop in Germany for my groceries. Um, that's a cultural experience. I can't speak to them. Um, and so in Strasbourg, Strasbourg, I believe, has the second largest, the University at Strasbourg is the second largest in France. And so we do student ministry, and that's something that, we've been, that we're doing more and more, and so we're very excited to share about that. I think that is a sufficient introduction, and we'll move to the next step. There we are. There we are. Um, we're in France. Obviously, you guys saw the map. Um, but one of the things I want to highlight, and we're going to highlight, not just me, um, is the fact that France, is, being an entirely different country, we, can, we think a lot of the things that we've, since we lived in France, a lot of the things that we experience are kind of normal, everyday life stuff, but are extremely different from here. And so what we tried to do is we tried to capture a couple things that would give you guys a feel for the country, let you guys see that they've got a different history, different social values, different mindset, and all of those things kind of come together to make benefits for the gospel to spread, but also challenges. And so we're going to go through and kind of discuss that, and uh, we're going to start off by Sarah is going to give a little bit of an introduction to about the history of France. You got your mic. So, that's um, how left. Um, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the history of background to understand how France become, became the country it's right now. And most of you know that as the other European country, France is a postmodern Christian country. And so there are things in history that can explain that. So I just kind of have some bullet points to explain. I mean, it doesn't explain everything, but it gives some understanding of why France is a secular country today. So France has been a Christian nation for like over a thousand years, um, which is a big difference from the States because you guys are considered a young country compared to France. Um, So we have a long history of Christianity and especially Catholicism. So the Catholic Church is the main church in France. And... Um, so France was a kingdom for a long time, and the king was being crowned by the pope. So there's a strong connection between the, the king and the pope. So the French king and the Vatican would kind of work hand in hand. And the king was believed to be chosen by God, so it says a lot about his power um, in France. And that led him to have both spiritual and political power in France. So, um, yeah, and obviously that led to a lot of abuse and manipulation from the king and from the church. The church was also very corrupted, and um, I'm talking here like the 16th century, uh, mostly that was like, I'll say the highest uh, point of the church corruption, and uh, the church was taxing regular people. Um, to sustain this extravagant way of life. Um, so the church was up there, up high, living, um, like there are very few people, like, I don't know, maybe 5% of the population that was considered a clergy, um, and they were just 
I don't know, living the luxury life, you know, and taxing people um, to get that. So the society was divided in three different categories. Um, I'd say just the regular people, so about 60% of the population, um, maybe 70. And then the nobility, nobility, so like noble, like kings and lords and these people. And at the top of the hierarchy was the clergy. And the clergyman had different rights, and that led people to start being bitter against the church and really just saying, this is not fair. And so in 1789, so a dozen years, I think, yeah, I asked Taylor, when was the... American Revolution again. <laughs> so only, yeah, 12 years later, actually 13 years earlier, yeah, later. My, my math skills. Yeah. <laughs> we had the French Revolution. I don't know if um, you guys have seen the movie Les Miserables. They talk about the French Revolution. That's not the main French Revolution. That's the second French Revolution. Anyways, so French Revolution, 1789, people said it's enough. They beheaded the king and at the same time beheaded the spiritual leader of the country and said, we want to kick out the king and the clergy. And that was, I think, the beginning of the de-Christianization of France. That was like the main event that started off the secularization of France. Um, so the, basically, priests were kicked out. I did some research last night. It was really terrific, actually. Um, some were like murdered and yeah it was just like all this bitterness came out people were angry and they just kind of decided to persecute the church because the church was the symbol of this yeah corruption corruption and everything the French Revolution was followed by the what we called the Enlightenment with um, all the philosophers and I don't know if you know about Voltaire, um, Rousseau, all these people. And they started um, what, we called, what we called in France the reign of reason. So reason with a big R became, yeah, I'm saying because that's how we say it, reason with big R became, um, replaced religion. Um, so reason was, you know, religion was considered as dark, as past age, and people were, like, religion was um, getting on the way of progress. So, um, yeah, they kicked it out of the picture, too. And Catholicism was no longer the official and only religion in France. And as I say, it was replaced by the cult of reason, whose goal was perfection of mankind. So it was really centered on men and perfection of men through reason, truth, and liberty. Liberty was a big deal then. And I did some, while doing my research, I actually found something very interesting, a little fact that I didn't know, didn't even know about, is Strasbourg. Strasbourg has a beautiful cathedral. I don't know if any of you have been to Strasbourg, but it has a beautiful cathedral and a lot of tourists and, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. But back then, the cathedral um, was threatened to be destroyed by the revolutionists and the people say no 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 we're actually going to replace it and they transform it into a temple of reason so the big cathedral we see in Strasbourg was for a long time a temple of reason so people will go and I don't know what kind of cult they had I don't know how I mean it was very reasonable yeah, <laughs> yeah anyways but it's very interesting that the city that we're ministering into was a temple of reason. Yeah. And so this is just little highlights. And just to say, I grew up in France, and I grew up in a school system in France, and this is what we're being taught at history, in history class. And we, you know, we make the revolution such a big thing. It's like, yes, like French people finding God, you know, their freedom. And um, I feel like this has really influenced how French people see religion. It's still considered as, you know, like the reign of reason is no longer an official thing, but we still kind of emphasize this. And people are really, um, yeah, negative about religion. 
and I feel like the history um, is still impacting us today. And just at one last date, in 1905, the state and the church officially divided, and that was like the end of it. Like, we don't want to have anything to do with churches, with religion. And, yeah, so this is definitely the beginning of the secular France, or as you say in French, the France laïque. That I don't know how to translate laïque, because it's really a big deal. And if you, if you see the French motto, I guess, it's liberté, so freedom, Égalité, equality, laïcité. And so laïcité is uh, secularity. secularity. So it's even in the motto, just to say how big of a deal it is for French people. It, it basically was the banishment of religion out of the public life into your private life. So religion's not expected to be anywhere within the public sphere, outside of your home, laïque or secular. And that was just, yeah. A little historical background for friends. Um, yeah, so Arne is going to go. I'm just going to give us some some short France today. Yeah, you're going to he's going to share about a little bit about France today and give us some some stuff that puts things in perspective. Hey. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'm just going to share like a few facts, not very long. Just about like what like some numbers about what France is like the the statistics about about France. So we all know that France is a country known for its art, its good food, um, for uh, what else? Language. That's right. The language everybody loves. A lot of people. Okay, a lot of people like the sound of French language. Um, it's also like when you think of France, you think of uh, going on holiday, or you think of um, rich people, um, and this is Paris and the city of love, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, it, it is, it, France is the most visited country on the planet. They receive, um, I think, about 80, 81, 80 plus million tourists uh, per year, which is quite a lot. They only have a population of 66 million, so uh, it's quite a lot of people. Um, Though there are some things about France that you might not know. <laughs> um, a few years ago, France was uh, what topped the list of being in the world, in the whole world, of every single country, topped the list of being the most pessimistic, pessimistic country in the whole world. Now, to put that in perspective, there are war-torn war countries out there, and there are uh, countries living in extreme poverty, but France is uh, right up there. <laughs> Um, and people, it seems to mark that people have a lack of hope or a lack of uh, anything, not really positive about anything in their life. Um, France has the highest population percentage, sorry, the highest percentage of atheists in Europe. Um, it's also number three in the world behind China and Japan. Um, it's got a 40% of people in France do not believe in God. Uh, 27% are agnostic, and the other 27% believe in God. That believe in God, that, that, that comprises of Muslim, Christians, and Jews. Um, another poll breaks down French religion in this way. It's illegal in France to take polls of religion, like by the government, so it's always done by outside polls. <laughs> so they... <laughs> They have a lot of varying statistics, but um, another poll in, in French in, breaks on French religion this way: 55 to 60 percent Catholic. There's a lot of agnostics in there. Being Catholic doesn't mean you are actually Catholic. Um, 35 percent to 40 percent would call themselves an atheist or don't have a religion. 8 to 10 percent are Muslim. 2 percent are Protestant. 1 percent Jewish, and 2 percent other. Um, we have about 50 million people in France that don't attend church regularly or weekly at all. Um, we, according to Youth for Christ in France, 80% 80, 80 of French people have never seen or owned a Bible. That seems crazy. <laughs> but but <laughs> it's not surprising if you go there. It's really... France is also home to a lot of minorities. Um, one of those, uh, like, one of those large minorities, just for an example, 
Um, they have 1.4 million Algerians, and why is that important? Um, open Doors say that Algeria uh, put Algeria on the top 50 persecuted countries for Christians. They had like it's a 90, 99% Muslim country. Um, uh, and I thought that was interesting because we have Open Doors and friends put that on their on their list of things to pray for because obviously we have we can make an impact in Algeria being in France. So that was quite cool. Um, yeah, and the last thing I wanted to say was, yeah, sure, like all these statistics make France sound like a really dead, dark place. Um, but God is at work, um, <laughs> and God is doing things. So, um, yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> hey, so I just wanted to kind of add a testimony to, to sort of show how that mindset works. Because I guess, like, here the mindset, I mean, I have no idea because I'm obviously not American, but what we see from the outside is that kind of this common assumption would be God exists and even if you're not like a believing Christian you probably you know have been surrounded by this idea for so long that like a God somewhere is probably kind of normal to think of whereas in France the common narrative is God does not exist and that just self-perpetuates so people don't even ever really think about it they've never like really considered this claim but they just get sort of fed it from birth and if you go and challenge that they're going to think you're crazy like, you know, um, and so I work as a teacher um, in my normal sort of job. And the thing is that it's unlawful for me to share my religion. So actually, like, it's totally fine to criticize and attack religion, but I may not ever defend it. If I defend it, that could be construed as a crime and I will lose my job. So <laughs> for me, that's been super hard. So, for example, I had last year, I was teaching this class of like 14 year olds. Um, and one of them said to the other, you are worth nothing. Your life is worth nothing. And I was just like, wow, I want to share with this person like that God loves them and like created them and like they're worth everything. And I, I just couldn't, you know. So what, what did I have to say? I could say like, yeah, the Declaration of Rights says that you're both equal. You know, like it just shows how crazy it is. Equally worthless. Um, so, <laughs> you know, so, so that, that's kind of the, the mindset that we're working with. So um, just to say that basically um, the door we found to like open uh, people's hearts to talk about religion is just intimate relationships. Like if you're not in an intimate relationship, people are not likely to listen. But if you share your life with them and they see that you're not crazy and they know your heart, then you can start having those discussions. I don't know. I'm good. Yeah, like authentic relationship. And so the last one for this section, um, and I'm bringing this kind of as somebody who's been here and been there. And every country has taboo, has, has taboo subjects. And I've been trying to wrap my mind of how do we as Americans understand the emotional reaction that something would that talking about something would, would bring about. So one example for Julia, when she just said the common narrative is, is God does not exist, it would be as if somebody came to you and their assumption, they said, well, God doesn't exist, obviously. And your, your gut reaction would be, that, that's an uncontested fact, that doesn't, that's not true. And so when you talk in France about God exists, you're suddenly, trying, you're suddenly building a foundation for your conversation on something that they don't, they don't, they think that's the opposite. That's like you're, you're building something over here that doesn't exist for them. And so therefore that's a barrier to conversation because your assumptions that you bring into the conversation might disqualify you from in their mind as being somebody who's reasonable. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to talk long, long about this because I'm going to touch a taboo here. And I said, and so this is, this is something I said, in France, imagine here, in France, if you talk to somebody about religion, this is very equivalent to if I walked up to somebody and I said, I started talking to somebody about sex. So the people in France, the people in the United States that you feel comfortable talking about that with, the people that you would not expect to talk to you about that with, to say, you wouldn't expect a stranger to come talk to you about that. In fact, you'd be shocked if you knew that person they asked you about that. And if somebody stranger walked up to you and asked you about that, there would be a very violent reaction inside of you saying, this is private, you're a stranger, and I never want to ever talk to you again. <laughs> um, and the exact same thing is very similar with religion in France. 
You walk up to somebody, and for them, it's a private act. For them, it's something that is your, for your life, it's your business. You do what you like. And it's also something that you would never expect anyone to talk to you about, especially a stranger. And I just want to mention that because that makes it very difficult to do evangelism in a way that people here would basically understand. The conversation has to be started differently. And there's a lot more at risk if you do that conversation wrong in a, in a way that's very – you start the conversation offensively. So we're going to move on to kind of step three. And this, this section – and I really like this section the best because we're going to talk about not just what we do, but what are things that characterize us, the ministry that we do. And we're going to share a little bit. This is where we get into the stories. And we're going to share the things that really you, – you can see how – our lives in France with this type of atmosphere actually plays out day to day. And so any of you are free to, to, to share about what you want to share. Um, we all have kind of things that we wanted to share, and there's no particular order. And so if any of you guys would like to start, if not, I can do it. But. Go for it, Joey. I don't know. <laughs> I, will, I will start. <laughs> um, so there are... Um, one thing that I guess characterizes our ministry, probably characterizes a lot of ministries, to be honest, um, is that we like we want to create a, like communities of grace. So I, I just share one short story. Um, uh, this was about four four years ago. Uh, we had uh, an American come along, American student and a Erasmus student, come for six months. Um, and he, he wasn't a Christian. Um, he had a large drinking problem. Um, <laughs> but um, I somehow managed to make a connection with this guy. Um, I spent time with him. Um, I didn't judge him for his drinking problem. It was very obvious. But I didn't, I didn't judge him for it. I became friends with him. Um, and we talked about, we talked about deep, deep things together. Um, and in that six months, um, I didn't say, you know, you need to stop this, you need to do this, because really drinking wasn't the problem. The real problem was that he, hadn't, he didn't have a relationship with, with Jesus. He didn't know God. Um, and so over those six months, he became a Christian. Um, he started reading the Bible. He came to our, our Bible evenings, started reading the Bible together with people, um, praying. Uh, and in the last month, he said, you know, God spoke to me and he said, look, uh, you need to stop drinking. And <laughs> so he stopped drinking. And it was it really was like he was alone in France. He was a young guy. He didn't speak French very well. He was very lonely. He'd take, taken out of his home. But like, yeah, just to say, like, there was real grace shown to him. And, and I think that that's not just with international students, but with French students, we like to operate in this way, especially with French students, because they don't, you know, um, react very well. And the other story, the one other story was about, uh, what was my? Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, we're, we're student ministry, basically. Um, <laughs> that's right, we're student ministry. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, Taylor. <laughs> He's good at that. Um, <laughs> um, no, this is one guy. He, he was a young guy, um, in, in, um, middle 20s when we met him. Yeah, Fabio. Um, and he, uh, he had lost his job. Uh, he was working with the French police. He had lost his job. And he was a young guy. And obviously, he comes along to our student group um, because they're all the same age. Um, and... After a few weeks, I don't know, a few months, um, he broke down in tears in our in our living room, crying, just saying, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I lost my job. I don't know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I'm I'm alone. I'm not married. Um, and he's lost all hope for his life. Because in France, when you have no job, it's like, I guess in like most places, if you don't have a job, it's pretty, pretty horrible um, for for you. Um, but yeah, he was lacking all hope, and uh, we we just we talked with him. Um, we encouraged him to to seek God. What is God seeking in your life? Um, 
and he talked about you know he had always had this hope to be a pastor, um, or and but he thought it was stupid because being a pastor in France is like just weird. <laughs> but uh, we said you know maybe God's speaking to you through that. Maybe you should explore that. And we'll pray for you, and we prayed with him there and then, and we encouraged him to keep seeking God, keep seeking what God had had in store for his life. And you know like that was four or five years ago. Today, this very day right now, he uh, he just given a service in a church. He's a pastor, a train, training and doing his training at the moment, and it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. He'd done his studies and everything was just like. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, you can add. Yeah. yeah, I just want to add like this guy is so wonderful. So um, when he came to us, I mean, he's quite pessimistic and sort of everything but like we just noticed right away that he loved reading the scriptures and studying them and he loved talking about them so we're just like you got a gift there and so we we got to see him preach like just before we left for the states and it was just awesome i mean it's just like really speaking truth and light and doing it so naturally you know, so just, you know. thank you god like that was cool so if you want to be praying for fabian just pray that he would experience everything that he's preaching because you can really notice that like god speaks to him as he prepares and like teaches him things and puts things on his heart that naturally wouldn't be there at all. And um, so really pray that those things would take root and that he would just live them as well. So that's cool. Um, did I have something to say about e- maybe um, just about the idea of relational mi- ministry and like receiving people as they are. So I'm going to talk about another couple um, who are very good friends of ours now. So they're called Guillaume and Nadja. Um, and Guillaume was doing uh, studies with me to be a teacher. So, like, we connected through that, and then I connected with his wife because we both like photography, and so, you know, we like, started doing some photography together and so on. So just trying to, like, cultivate that friendship. Um, and then at some point we thought, ooh, why don't we, like, try and have them meet, like, our NAVS home group? So we just invited them out to the pub, um, all of us, and they, like, really like them we're like oh this is so much fun to be with you guys and stuff um and then we invited them for like a thanksgiving meal which was the first time we kind of had like a slightly religious element just like say what you're thankful for kind of thing uh, and then we invited them to a christmas uh, party which was already a bit like okay christmas like you know let's talk about the birth of jesus and, and had like a, i think a tiny like slightly wee bible study in it and they went with it you know and afterwards, they just said, oh, it's just so good to, like, hang out with good people. So that was really nice because I felt that there's, like, a spirit of, like, we're trying to cultivate the spirit of just grace and love, like, in our in our home group. And they liked that. They connected with it. Um, and then, like, from January, we just invited them to the Bible studies. And they're just coming faithfully, like, ever since, which is awesome. Um, and so it's it's just a long journey. I mean, like, right now, um, Guillaume just says, well, yeah. I don't really know about God, but I do care about goodness and about how to be a good person. And Nadia says, well, I guess we're at the stage where we're like asking big questions and looking for big answers. So that's pretty cool. Um, and so we saw like a month, a couple of months ago, uh, she put up this like icon of Mary and Jesus in their house. <laughs> you know, some people might find like, oh gosh, now we're into icons. But I was really encouraged because it was like, okay, like, you know, she she's not afraid to show that now there's like some connection with God that she's looking for. And that's her culture. So that was cool. Um, yeah. Uh, so I guess I wanted to just say that if you have that kind of relationship with someone, like what we're trying to do is really be authentic and real with them. Like, you you really have to love them as a friend. You can't just see them as a project. Like And so God needs to give us that love all the time. And, like, the difficulty with that is that you're ministering from your life. Like, you're not ministering from a place of, oh, I studied this scripture, now I can tell you something about it. But really, like, um, our friend Raphael said, basically, I'm trying to fill myself with Jesus so much that if, if anybody just touches me, they'd be touched by him. Like, they would meet him you know Uh, so that's a really big challenge because you know like there are days or weeks or months where you know you feel like you're dry or maybe you're not really living with with jesus and there's no you can't fake it um so if you want to be praying also really pray that we would have that intimacy with god all the time um and i guess another thing is just about being vulnerable so like if i don't feel it with jesus right now like i can share that too with people so like really not touching people um 
based on you know how like holy or saintly or whatever we are, and that then allows us to talk about difficult things um, and sin. So maybe the last I'm just doing all my my people at the same time. <laughs> you're great. You're great. Um, so the last person I'm thinking of is this guy called Manu, um, who's a drug addict. I mean basically, he's just really addicted to cannabis. He takes various other drugs. He's technically at uni, but I mean he spends most of his time just like partying and not being not being super successful at <laughs> really anything. Um, it's a huge problem. But he says he's a Christian. And like God has told him several times to like stop drugs, so we've been really trying to walk with him in that, and like at the same time accept him for like who he is, but not allow him to continue like just living in sin. So that's kind of a a big one. And obviously, like the the success has has been varying. So from like him coming and and like hel- us helping us to get to the doctor and stuff, and then just him leaving off and blah blah. Anyway, God's working on that. But the one thing God gave me for him is like seeing him for like what God sees in him. So I see that God has put a gift of evangelism in this guy. Like this guy is going to be a wonderful evangelist. He can talk to like anybody at all, uh, no matter like what social class, what age, what background. He will just connect with them. Um, and he's not afraid to talk about God. Like even in his broken state, he brings along along like this other druggy Corentin. Because <laughs> he's talked to him about God so much, you know. So, so I know that that's God's plan for this guy's life, and that's just a gift He's given us. Like, not judging him for who he is now, but really like rejoicing in who who God will make him. Um, and so th- then believing that, you know, obviously, like he has a part to play. Like he needs to take that responsibility. It's not just going to happen like magically. <laughs> but be praying for Manu that he really would um, take. God's call in his life seriously, and that he would step up to be an adult and to make responsible choices, I guess. So another thing I want to talk about with the navigators, I think something we really um, value is hospitality. Um, I mean, both of us are hosting a group weekly um, in our homes, and I think Um, this is a great way to connect with French people because, as we said, it's hard to make these connections and we want to have authentic, real relationships. And in a French culture, opening your home is a very intimate experience. It says a lot about the relationship you have with the other person. Basically say, hey, why don't you come for dinner? It's like, oh, wow. So we actually that good of a friend, you know? So... um, I feel like the way the navigators work in France, like really captured the cultural, um, how would you say, the cultural, um, yeah, yeah, the cultural flavor of France, Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, we we feel like opening our homes. It's also opening, like being transparent in, you know, the way we live our lives. so, for instance, I just have an example just coming up from my mind. The fact that we are married and young, this is a big thing. Like, this is really strange for French people. We, Taylor and I, live in a little apartment, and we're surrounded by other students. And they all look at us like, I mean, why are you married? <laughs> why do you need to commit? Like, why don't you just, you know, spend your, like, your youth just playing around, you know? And so I feel like being married too, for Aaron and Julia too, is a big testimony in itself mm-hmm. for the people. Mm-hmm. And us inviting them to our homes and preparing a meal. I mean, French people and food. I mean, <laughs> it's a love story. Ooh la la. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I feel like, yeah, like, I feel like this past year, that's been the best way I've served in the navigators, just cooking and just being preparing, yourself. Yeah, just preparing the home, making it cozy and homey mm-hmm. for people to be there and create this safe space, you know, for people to open up and be themselves. They're not being judged. They're not being, you know, they can ask questions. They can really go deep. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something we value with navigators. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have any testimony. I just have this one time where I feel like we have also have to be very flexible. Um, 
this one time, so, I mean, every week we send out, you know, little updates and just kind of like, hey, we're having a Bible study this week. And invite your friends. Invite your friends. And most, I mean, the past, like I think it was in May, and usually May is the beginning of summer, summer vacations, so students kind of go away. So we are not expecting to have a lot of people. So I just made, you know, dinner for like eight, eight, nine people. And <laughs> the evening came by, and people just kept coming, coming, and coming. I was just like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like, Jesus, I have, you know, two fish and <laughs> five breads. And five baguettes. <laughs> and five baguettes. <laughs> so please, you know. And actually, I did end up going and just, you know, buying baguettes and cheese, and that's what, I mean, we just kind of shared. We were just a little tied up around our dining table but we're 15 we are yeah, we ended up being 15 but it was so good and I think we spent like an hour and a half just talking and people were connecting with each other and creating friendships and mm-hmm. you know and I was thinking back then that I just remember Jesus you know in, in gospels and you see him spending a lot of time at a table you know and he's teaching them, he's teaching his disciples that just, I mean, we don't have much details about what's going on during these dinners or, you know, time, but I just imagine that these were probably the best moments the disciples had with Jesus. Very intimate, life-giving, filled with joy. And I remember that night when we had, we didn't have enough for everybody, but I just felt like, no, I'm not going to compare myself with Jesus, but I just felt like people there were doing what disciples were probably doing with Jesus back then. Mm-hmm. And it just felt great. Like, I felt like, okay, this is what we're here for. Mm-hmm. This is why we're in Strasbourg, and this is why we're investing into these people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, hospitality is definitely mm-hmm. a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that just to characterize, just to offer something, is, is that being young, being married, being Christian, there is a taboo to talk about religion. But oftentimes what happens is you say you're married, and then there's this, whoa, you just like threw all of your life away, right? Tell me about that. And then you start talking, and then they discover, oh, that's really weird and not for me, but that sounds really cool. Um, one of the guys I was talking to just lived next door. He's like, I asked, so, you know, you talk about looking for the perfect woman, and how do you, you know, how do you find that woman? He said, well, a good woman is like, it's like an iPhone. He says, you've got to, you've got to, like, I, the first time I ever picked up an iPhone, I knew it was the right phone for me. He, he picked up his Samsung phone to check, the, to check the time. He didn't have an iPhone in his hand. He had a different phone. And then, but then we kept talking, and there's this question of how do you find a spouse when you live in a country where there's tons that you, you probably you might either come from a divorced family or you're 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 surrounded by divorced families and there's this thing of we don't believe re- that you can really find that person for you and if you do you probably have to live together for at least five years to make sure no one will kill each other um, and so living being married living together opening up our home is kind of like being the odd people in the group that everybody's waiting for them to like fail or kill each other, and we kept exi- we keep on existing, we keep opening our home, and we're almost the definition of something that shouldn't exist well. And I think that's something that it's one of those things. That we were at a wedding last about about three weeks ago, and a guy we were talking to a guy. He's been dating this girl for five years, and he's. She said, I would, Sarah asked him about, you know, have you ever considered getting married? And he's like, yeah, we're trying to play it slow and being careful. He mentioned the divorce rates. He mentioned how scared it was to be, you know, to do that. And so we, we kept walking. We kept talking. We kept working. And at the end of the wedding, because we were all in the wedding party, he turned to me and he said, Taylor, being around so many young married couples, the young married couple that was getting married, us, the young couple, another young couple, he said, I feel healed. And that's the big word for him because he's living in an environment where nobody's married that's his age. Nobody encourages him to get married. 
And nobody's providing that example that you aren't going to die if you get married. You aren't going to wake up with a knife on. Um, so I really think that that's something that really is important, is the fact that you're, when you're existing, that existence often begs a question which opens that conversation. So the last thing I'm going to mention, and I'm, I'm expecting to hear a collective sigh. Um, you got well, she's got another one, so no collective side, please. Um, one thing that characterizes our ministries, our ministry is ecumenical. And that's a big word that's more understood in France with many different types of denominations and Catholic faith. And so ecumenical means that our ministry isn't tied to a specific denomination. It isn't, and it's not even, so we have people who are serving. This is in the leadership team. We're Catholic. We have people who are Mennonites. We're not really sure where to put them. Um, we have, yeah, bad, the Baptist here. I'm the, I'm the Baptist joke when everybody's like, we're very well balanced. He's Baptist. <laughs> and everyone looks at me like I'm about to, you know, start spouting flames. Um, and so our ministry, the leadership team is Catholic and, and Protestant and evangelical. And that really opens up a home. So we, or we open up our home. A lot of the people who come. They come, they're Catholic, they're Protestant, they're wherever, they're non-believers. And we're sitting at a table and we're talking about Jesus. And then suddenly the guy turns to me and it's like, oh my gosh, you guys aren't, you guys aren't, you aren't all Catholic? This guy's, this guy's Catholic. He's like, you guys aren't all Catholic? This is, this is really strangely cool. And so a lot of the people that we are coming is, is that we're providing not only an environment where people are there, but people are discussing. And I, and I had a guy tell me, I don't, want to, I don't really want to meet with you, Taylor, because I'm Catholic and I don't want you to convert me. It's like, I'm glad we got this on the table because I don't want to convert you because we, if you make a pie shape, you know, round circle, and you cut and you say, this is the portion of the pie that we share, the, the portion of the pie that we believe that about Jesus, that we believe about each other, we believe about what God's going to do. So we got 90% of this pie, probably much more. Um, that we share. And I said, I, I, I would rather just eat that part right now. Because in reality is, is that this small portion of the pie that we don't necessarily agree about may be stuff that we may never be able to completely know. Or may not be the stuff that we can completely um, clarify or agree on. And it's to really say, we want to open up the doors to share, how can we follow Jesus? How can we discover what Jesus means? How can we hear his voice? And how can we let people, for me, I say, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, but I would love for Catholic people that I know to discover the meaning in their, in their baptism, discover the meaning in their church, to discover that those things that they don't understand or maybe they've never really examined are really treasured heritages that actually reveal there's someone on the other side. And I'm content with being a minority over there. And I'm content to not make smaller. I'm not. I'm not. I'm content to be serving people like Jesus to say I'm not. I'm coming here to serve um, them. And how do I serve them? Is not by saying, okay, we need to get some stuff straight, but just to say, let's 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 follow Jesus. Let's seek him. Let's listen to him. Let's discover what he really says in our life. And I think Jesus will will do a lot of speaking for himself. <laughs> That's why I'm not the Holy Spirit. Um, and so ecumenicalism. It's something important for us, but it really is something that characterizes who we are, what we do, and basically every level of that. Okay. Yeah, just to add maybe to that, that in France, when you're a Christian, you're such a small minority, you really can't afford to fight amongst yourselves like, nah, you've got to stick together. Um, are, are we kind of near the end of this presentation? Very near. Very near, okay. So I, I was really kind of... Um, thinking like, ah, oh, like we've got the whole service and I don't know if like anything that we're going to share is actually encouraging in any way. <laughs> um, but like, so it's really like, oh God, what do you want us to share? And like the one thing that came to my mind is like part of how God called me. So I just thought I could, I could share that and um, basically just hope that it would encourage other people, like theoretically. <laughs> um, so like just recently I've been like praying again about like what's God calling me to for next year. Um, and he just put in my mind John 21. And I was like, okay, I'm going to read John 21. And, of course, it's the, the story of Peter being called. Um, and at first I was like, oh, I don't really know what to do with that, Lord. Um, but then I, like, reread it. Um, and so it, there's this whole conversation between, between Jesus and Peter. Um, 
And Peter's just like betrayed Jesus and sort of come back and it's all a bit messy. And Jesus asks him, like, Peter, do you, do you love me sacrificially? Do you love me with like, would you give your life for me, basically? And Peter's like, yeah, you know, I, I care for you as a friend. And, and so Jesus says, okay, well, here, feed my, feed my uh, I think, the, the lambs, like feed my lambs. Um, and then he asks him again, do you love me, like, sacrificially? And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I really, like, appreciate your friendship. So Peter, Peter's always, like, below sort of Jesus' expectations. So Jesus has this, and he's calling him to be a leader. So he's like, okay, you care for me as a friend, right? So then, you know, uh, care for my flocks. Um, and then he asks him, do you love me as a friend? And finally, Peter can say, well, of course, you know, like, you know everything. You know that I love you. And so he's like, okay, then feed my, feed my sheep. Um, and at the end, it just kind of really got me thinking, like, there's this scale of, like, I suppose, sanctification or love for Jesus or like being perfect and all these things from, like, zero to ten. And Peter's really not there. Like, he's maybe at five, you know? Like, do you love me with your whole life? Would you give everything for me? Yeah, five out of ten kind of thing. And... Jesus is like, he still gives him responsibility, you know? He still gives him a mission. And so I, I really feel like that spoke to me because a lot of the time, like especially thinking about, oh, we're going to present what we do, it's really easy to be super negative about what you do and just to be like, oh, you know what? I really could do it better. Like, uh, do I even deserve to be sitting here and speaking about this? Because all of these ways I could have done better. And so God really encouraged me, I think, and just said, no, like you're enough for me now like but there's always the, the perspective of um completion i guess so at the end jesus says to peter um he hints at like the fact that peter would die for him at the end and he says okay like now you like put on your own belt and you go where you want to go but at the end of your life somebody else will do that for you and you go where you don't want to go and so jesus is saying to him don't worry like you will love me sacrificially to the end um and I'm going to walk with you like through that and to that point. And so that's, for me, just encouraging to be like, yeah, okay, I can serve God like as I am. So I guess maybe that, that might also encourage other people to be like, where are you right now? Oh, thanks, God. <laughs> Thank you also to you too, because you're really encouraging them, nodding along, going like, yeah, yeah, that, you know, that really helps. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> So this is the, the this closing thing. Um, when I've been thinking about this, how can you be praying for us? Um, I gave them a history lesson a while back, and they're like, does this have any reason? Are you sharing this for a reason? And I, I basically told them, I said, Alabama, we were, we were a state for a long time that produced, with, you know, king is cotton. No, cotton is king. I'm sorry. Wow, I've been in France too long. Um, or just long enough. Um, so cotton is king. And history lesson that's going to be really brief is that cotton was the crop. But the problem with cotton, and it wasn't necessarily understood that well then, was cotton is a, is a crop that takes nutrients out of the ground. It takes nitrogen. And so when you keep putting cotton in the ground, each year there's less in the ground. And so George Washington Carver, as well as other people, began to say, well, we've got to actually figure out how to, to not have a barren piece of soil, because people say that the ground is barren. We can't produce cotton. It's worthless. Um, and I think sometimes what we do is we do say, this is worthless. This is barren. And France is one of those places where they call it the missionary graveyard. And I'm sure that uh, that's not a very, I'm going to the missionary graveyard with my shovel. Um, People, it's, it's basically the definition of it's barren. You know, you're going to go over there, you're going to do some stuff, and you're going to leave extremely disappointed and then go to a third world country and probably dig a well and they'll, they'll appreciate you. Um, but France is a country that if you go as a missionary, um, we've had Christianity for 1,000 years, and um, we did the Crusades, and we did the Inquisition, and uh, Christians, uh, they, they're a mixed bag, and uh, we don't need you. We don't need you to save us. And... Uh, we don't want you to talk to us about religion. And so you're going to a place that doesn't really want you, doesn't really want you to be there, and doesn't see what you're doing. It's kind of offensive. You're a missionary to us, you know. And so we're going, you've got a barren land. that Many people would say, France is barren, not going to produce anything. You can scatter what you like. God's going to make stuff come out because God's cool. Um, 
here's, the, here's where the nuts come in, the peanuts. George Washington Carver figured out that if you plant certain crops, I'll call you guys the sweet potatoes, and I'll be the peanut. You put sweet potatoes and peanuts in the ground, and they're a crop that produces something at the end of the year, but it's something that puts something into the soil. It's something that allows things to grow in the future. And we don't want to be people who go and scatter seed, and we're only about this year's harvest. We're only about seeing something happen this year, and when we leave, God comes with us, and we're just hoping something happens there. We're not coming in and cultivating and saying, let's just cultivate this for this year. Um, Navigator says that we're, our goal is to make generations of laborers. So we say our goal is not just to share the gospel. Do, I call it a drive-by. It's like the, you got the drive-by guy who drives back, shoots, shoots somebody with a Jesus gun, hope they die, and, and they, they fall, they're, 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 their sinful man dies to his flesh. And he, we, we can't do drive-bys, and that's probably a really good thing. Um, we have to do the really messy, sacrifice your life, open your life, be friends with people who think you're crazy. And, and God works in that. And people are changed. Not because one moment I, I gave them a track, but people are saved because God worked in their life. And the first year we put some paint peanuts in the ground and there's some maybe maybe more life in the ground. But over time, God works in their heart. And they're not only something that will last a year. They're something that will continue to produce life for generations to come. And that's a challenge for you guys as well. Um, because God calls us to be salt. And God calls us to be light, and those are something that only that those are something that that brings something to those around us. Salt doesn't really isn't a cool thing unless you put it on something. Um, light is something that comes into a dark place, and so that's what I my challenge for not only for us because it is a challenge, but a challenge for all of you is to realize where you are, you're bringing something. Where you are. You want to be a source of God's richness. And we believe that God's going to use that to change the world and change generations to come here and in France. And so that's, that's the, you guys can clap later if you like, but that's, 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 the, that's the point, that's the finish point. That's our encouragement for you guys. That's how you can be praying for us. We're the nuts. So, CJ, I'm going to ask you for one thing real quick. I'm going to go through this thing, and after that, we're going to sing for you guys. Um, something that's... <laughs> CJ, we got another mic. Uh, if you look in your bulletin today, um, there is a sheet of paper, and the sheet of paper looks like this. And this sheet of paper basically says if you would like to receive a newsletter or information about what we're doing, and we, we send out something re re fairly regularly, um, up to once a month. And it basically says, this is what God's doing this month. This is what God's teaching us this month. All you have to do is put your name, your email, and just check the box. I don't want anybody to, to feel like they're surprised when they get an email from us. Because I don't like that when other people do that. So you just check that. There's a box. There's a little basket over here. There's a basket over near the office. And you just put that in, and we'll start sending you emails. And you're free to look over those, read those deeply, read them shallowly, whatever. We want you guys to have the opportunity to know what God's doing and how you can be praying. Um, at the table, Arne and Julia have beautiful pictures of people that they're with, people themselves. Um, and this is an introduction that gives a little bit more of their story and lets you know who they're working with and what they're doing. Um, we have another one with a picture of a baby on it, an ultrasound. So you guys are free to go look at that. Um, these are just here to let you guys have something to take away. Um, and the last thing, and I will, I, I'm American in many ways. Um, they don't do this in Europe. You would never put someone's face on your fridge. <laughs> um, mostly because, well, I, I don't know why. We have little magnets you can stick on your fridge. So whenever you're hungry, you can see Arn's face. Um, Gateway has taken the first stand, and on their fridge they have Arn and Julia, myself and Sarah. Um, so that, that is available for you guys. You guys can do what you like with it. Um, but 
Yeah, I keep talking and I don't have anything to say. Um, Thank you, guys. You're free to access that, and I think we're going to sing. So the song is called J'ai soif de ta présence. I think it's, uh, we have the English translation to this song. It's a classic Christian song, hymn. Um, what is it in English? I think it's, I need. I need you, Lord, I need you. And in French, the, tra- the title is, I am thirsty for your presence. So we, we feel like that's a good song we want to sing over French. <laughs> And we're going to sing it in French. The words are really good, I promise. One, two, one, three, four. J'ai soif de ta présence divine, chef de ma foi. Dans ma faiblesse immense, que ferais-je sans toi Chaque jour, à chaque heure, oh, j'ai besoin de toi. Viens, Jésus, et demeure auprès de moi. Pendant les jours d'orage, d'obscurité d'effroi, quand faiblit mon courage, que ferais-je sans toi Chaque jour, à chaque heure, oh, j'ai besoin de toi. Viens, Jésus, et demeure auprès de moi. Jésus, ta présence, c'est la vie et la paix, la paix dans la souffrance et la vie à jamais. Chaque jour, à chaque heure, oh, j'ai besoin de toi. Viens, Jésus, et demeure auprès de moi. You guys encouraged? Amen. This is what it's about. We're very excited. This is uh, the beginning of the day. There's a continuation. Um, we put it in the gate post and in the bulletin. Today, from 2 to 6 p.m., a four-hour stretch, they will have an open house at the Fox's home over there near Vaughn Road Park. And if you need to get information on directions, please come, connect with them, go deeper, have questions, hear some more stories. It's going to be an open house. Come as you want from 2 to 6. You can come. You can go for refreshments and fellowship. We also want to let you know it's a time that we can invest into these guys, okay? We want to invest in them financially as well. There's going to be a time there, a place where you can help with their travel expenses uh, for this trip, and we as Gateway are going to participate in that, but you will have an opportunity as you come and share in fellowship to be able to invest in them there as well. So you guys blessed. Amen. This has been a wonderful day. Just once more, we're going to pray over them, and we're going to get dismissed. So if you guys just come together. Um, we have an interesting neighborhood where you're not allowed to park on the street. Well, you can, but they'll remove your car. Um, So we have our driveway, the driveway on the left side. You're free to use that driveway. If you come early, you probably will be the last to leave because your car will be stuck. Um, And if you need to, if you would like to come by um, and you don't want to be in a driveway and you don't mind, you you want to have a little bit more control over when you leave, um, there is a parking lot down the street at the Church of Christ, um, and you're free to walk up, and we'll have cold drinks there for those who uh, have survived the desert. And I'm sure you can park at the park if there's a, or there's construction right now, too. But the park may be open. You can park there. It's very, very close to Vonro Park, so it's just a few houses up. So That's right. Well, let's pray for these guys. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, thank you for the Foxes, for the O'Neills. Thank you, God, for the calling on their lives. Lord, I'm encouraged this morning. We've been challenged. I've been convicted. Lord, we thank you that you were at work in these precious couples and in this country of France. Lord, we thank you for them being the ambassadors that you've called to this nation, to this city. 
God, we pray you continue to open doors, you continue to build relationships. God, we thank you for the challenge of authentic Christianity. We thank you that authenticity, God. You were real, you were authentic, God. You were the example. So, Jesus, I pray for all of us that we'd be challenged with that in our own lives as we leave here today, that we would walk out of this building, as uh, Julia so beautifully said, that if somebody touched us, they would ooze Jesus and they would feel his presence. They would experience him at that moment. God, we pray provision over both these families, both these couples. We pray, God, you provide their every need while they're in France, while they're here, that you would encourage them, that you'd bring them a sense of peace and strength and comfort, that they're a part of this family. They are a part of the Gateway family. And we thank you you so much for Aaron and Julia being a part of us now and just getting this introduction and being brothers and sisters in Christ and that we are one in that. And Lord, thank you for this precious life in Sarah. We thank you for this precious baby that you've created. We thank you and pray for a good pregnancy, Lord, and delivery and that we can continue to remember that, uh, that precious little one as well. And for the entire ministry, in Jesus' name, we pray that, God, your kingdom come and your will will be done in Strasbourg, France. That that would be, God, even an apex, that would be like a a ripple effect like an earthquake epicenter where we can see the move of God in that city and it just explode out from there a move of your spirit and these two couples are going to be a part of that and God that's what you're about we've seen it all through scripture we've experienced your salvation your transformational power you can do that and we thank you that these two couples are a part of that process and they're going to be conduits of that power so again bless them encourage them fill them afresh God with your spirit and thank you again for bringing the word this morning through these four precious uh, sons and daughters of yours. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.